0: Welcome to episode four of The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working today in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and all sorts of things have been going on in the world of animation. As some of you may be aware, The Little Prince will no longer be released by Paramount in the United States. No real word yet on Why exactly that happened, there's definitely speculation. The director of the film, Mark Osborne, has said that another distributor will be coming in to distribute the film, so we have that to look forward to. That's supposed to be happening sometime later this year, so when it does, I'll make sure to mention that on the show. The Little Prince is a wonderful book, and I've heard nothing but wonderful things about the film. It has gotten a great deal of critical acclaim, overseas. It is a, a foreign film, for those of you outside of the United States, and like I said, it is a wonderful book, and as I recall, it was also either a television special or a television show when I was a kid, and it was a very good show, so hopefully we'll have a chance to see it in the United States sometime. Either it will be released, or there'll be a DVD or Blu-ray edition, or it'll show up on iTunes in a year or so, so here's hoping for that. And also announced today was the Red Band trailer of Sausage Party, which is the, let me get this right, the Sony Pictures Entertainment release of a Columbia Pictures and Annapurna Pictures presentation of a Point Grey Pictures production, ThankYouVariety.com. Yes, this is the R-rated meat comedy, I guess you would call it, starring uh, Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill, and a bunch of other comedians and other actors about uh, sentient meat products. Now, I have not seen the Red Band trailer. I don't tend to watch Red Band trailers because they're Red Band trailers. That's not really my thing, but if you guys want to check it out, you know, go for it. It's definitely... uh, that is definitely up to you. It is an R-rated comedy. It's gonna be released on August 12th, and my thoughts on this are, well, I won't be seeing the movie because it's not really the kind of movie that I tend to watch, I am glad that it exists. And the reason why is because animation is a medium. It is a way to showcase all kinds of ideas, all kinds of different thoughts, all kinds of different stories. This film is no exception. And while I don't necessarily agree with the content of the movie, I think it's great that people are free to make the kind of content that they want to make. I think that's what makes the U.S. great and many other countries great is that we have the freedom to express ourselves and to tell different kinds of stories and, you know, people have the choice to go and see them or not. But the cool thing is that, you know, it's an animated film for people that want to see an R-rated comedy, which we really haven't had a whole lot of that. There haven't been a whole lot of rated R comedy animated movies. The only one that really comes to my mind is South Park. If there's any others out there, you know, y'all let me know. But that's the only one that I'm thinking of right now. But, you know, it's just good that different kinds of movies can be made and that animation can showcase lots of different things. Also, Zootopia was released on March 4th, and that is a very good movie. I encourage everyone to see it. I was particularly impressed that Disney made a anti-prejudice and race relations, culturally sensitive film with rabbits and foxes and multiple other animals. It's pretty impressive, as I'm sure most of you are aware, Disney, and not just Disney, but all media companies, you know, they haven't always had the best track record when it comes to representing other cultures, other ethnicities. That's just the history of the world, as far as books, film, television shows go. So it's really great to see that you know, that they're talking about something that's very relevant in today's culture, and has been for quite some time, so I encourage you guys to see it. It's very good. Also, if you haven't seen it yet, this has been out for a while, but it's definitely worth your time. Kung Fu Panda 3. For those of you who are fans of the Kung Fu Panda franchise, it does a great job. I love the Kung Fu Panda franchise. I love Kung Fu Panda. I love the entire premise. I love that it's kung fu, and action movies, and animals, the cinematography in this movie is outstanding, the fight sequences are great, the animation is great, and the story is really good. It actually touches on something very dear to my heart, which is family, and what makes a family? And Your family may not be a traditional family, and that's okay. It's all about the people around you that love you and support you, and Poe uses the power of his family and his community. and. That's a wonderful message that, you know, your entire community can help you out. And it's a message that I would love to see in more films. So kudos to DreamWorks for that. If you haven't had a chance to see it, and if it's still playing in your area, definitely go and see it. Also, uh, the Peanuts movie by Blue Sky was released. And if you haven't seen that, you need to go and see it. It's great, especially if you're a fan, as I am, of Charles Schultz's comic strip especially if you're a fan of, you know, It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, or Charlie Brown Christmas. It's just a wonderful film. They did such a good job with it and just such a good job of capturing not only the spirit of Charles Schultz, but just the spirit of what goes behind making, you know, that story so great. And it's just very wonderfully made. You can tell that they really, really wanted to do the story and the characters justice. So go and see it, and you can see it by going to Amazon. And as all of you know by now, if you visit www.theanimatedjourney.com and click on the banner on the right-hand side, you can make all your purchases on Amazon, including buying the Peanuts movie on DVD and Blu-ray. And when you click on the banner and then purchase something, because they are our affiliates for the show, a little bit of money comes back to the show, and that helps me out with paying for hosting, getting everything together. So I thank you all in advance for your support. Also, if you want to donate directly, there's a lovely PayPal button on the site if you feel so inclined. And also, one of our other sponsors is audible.com, which is where you can go to download audiobooks. So if you're interested in listening to your books while you're driving or jogging or at home, make sure to click on the banner on the website for Audible, and that will also help the show as well. And I'm really excited for this episode because today I interviewed Christine Knopp. And Christine is someone that I've actually have known for a while, but haven't really gotten to talk to her a whole lot until just last year. Uh, When myself and my friend Kristen Sanzari, who I just want to give a shout out to Kristen, a fan of the show and definitely a supporter, she and I went to an ideation club, which is Academy of Arts, a uh, visual design and concept design club and Christine was one of the guest speakers and this was a year and a half before I graduated from Academy of Art Christine was there and she gave a two-hour Photoshop tutorial uh, during the tutorial she talked a great deal about how she got her job at Stormate and then at Disney Interactive and she talked about how she went to conventions how she put a portfolio together, and just all the steps that she took to get a job. And that was some of the best advice that I'd ever heard. And it really helped me while I was in school. It really helped me get focus in working on a portfolio, which eventually helped me get an internship at Pixar. Just having that focus and knowing that, hey, I should start applying for jobs way before I'm out of school. I should start applying for jobs today, which is essentially what I did. So Christine definitely helped me in my journey, and I know that she's going to help all of you in yours. She's worked at a lot of different companies. She does a lot of different things. You know, in this interview, we talk a great deal about not only the work that she's done, but we also talk about what it's like living as a freelancer and how to manage contracts. And she's also an instructor now at Academy of Art, and she talks about, you know, things that students can do prior to going to college and prior to being in art school, that can help prepare them for being in class. So if you're wanting to go to art school, if you're wanting to freelance, if you're wanting to put together contracts, if you want to know what it's like to work for a mobile gaming company, if you really like cats, because Christine really likes cats, this is the interview for you. So hope all of you enjoy it. And without further ado, here is episode four, interview with Christine Knopp. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Christine Knopp. Christine is an excellent artist and a really cool person. Uh, some of her notable accomplishments include working for game studios such as Storm 8 and Disney Interactive. She's also a freelance artist who's worked on The Jungle Book and Peter Pan with Storytime Magazine. And she also recently created a children's book called Square Zare Pair. Am I pronouncing that correctly?
1: That's correct.
0: Thank you. Very good. That is a LGBT friendly children's book. And she's also working on the cover art for Ricky, which is a Ricky Tiki Tabby retelling by Karate Pet Shop. And she's also an instructor with Academy of Art University. Christine, thank you very much for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: I'm glad to be here. Very glad to have you there. So I always like to start off at the very beginning of people's journey. So tell me, where did you grow up and what were some of your influences as a kid?
1: Um, I grew up in a very small and pretty insignificant town in SoCal. Um, it was called Yucaipa. There wasn't very much art there. There wasn't a lot of um, creative things in general. Um As far as influences go, a lot of it was just myself. I always drew pictures, although I never had any interest in pursuing it. I would just find a little spot to hang out on my own, watch some birds and doodle or write stories. And eventually I wound up pursuing the art instead of the writing.
0: Very good. And besides uh, birds, what were some of the things that you liked to draw when you were little?
1: A lot of cats, a lot of cats, a lot of lizards. Um, And then as I hit high school, I think dragons. And that really was probably about it. I did not have a very versatile portfolio when I was younger. Lots of fantasy. And of those three categories sort of mixed match together.
0: Very cool. And did you have any other like creative influence as well, as far as like television or movies or magazines are concerned?
1: Um, probably, I mean, always various movies that were coming out. Um, I love animation and I definitely loved it back then too, but I think a big thing was the internet. I was always looking at new, you know, artists had artists, friends, and I started to see that some of these people actually could make a living in art. There actually was that ability out there and I slowly started to look into it.
0: Excellent. So your family because we've had com- we had a conversation about this before your family's sort of like my family where you were the artist in your family like the rest of your family i know was like researchers and scientists and mine's the same way it's a lot of scientists and finance and engineer people so what was it like when you told your family i'm going to go and pursue a career in art
1: um i honestly think they were a little scared at the same time, though, my my parents wanted to give me the ability to pursue something that they knew I was really interested in. They were just incredibly apprehensive. And I definitely had a lot of push and pull on whether or not art school was too expensive, If I should even bother finishing, on top of a lot of, you know, like, make sure you stick with this job, even if it's unhealthy, because if you can't get an art job, you need to have a backup. And I did a few very unhealthy, <laughs> I did a few, I made a few bad decisions with that mindset. Not that it's necessarily a bad one, but you have to have faith in yourself as well and not put yourself into an unhealthy situation,
0: just in That, case. Is, that is very good wow. advice. And how did you decide to go to Academy of Art?
1: I honestly did not really research too much. That <laughs> <laughs> I wound up hitting Academy of Art because it was one, it was, Pretty much the art school that was far enough from home that I didn't have to visit my parents every week, but still in the same state, so I had in state tuition. <laughs> I applied for several schools in California, mostly UC schools, actually, non art schools. My original plan was to minor in writing, and so I'd have that backup and major in artwork but as we started visiting different schools I went to you know Santa Cruz Santa Barbara etc I saw their art program and it was generally a dilapidated building Ooh. back like a, like an old shame <laughs> or in the case of Santa Cruz it was a bunch of people sitting around a totem pole what? I'm not even joking uh-huh. And we'd ask, you know, what's your art? What's your art department like? And they would typically not either not know what to say, or they'd be like, well, um, we have a lot of classes. Like we have one. It's called Alice in Wonderland. I'm like, well, what do they do in the class? Well, they draw about Alice in Wonderland. I'm like, all right, that's okay, A plus. Um, well, how many of your students get jobs after graduation? And they'd be like, oh, we
0: don't keep oh, track of that. Oh, oh, that that's. Here's a pro tip, kids. That's don't don't go thing. to that school. You,
1: <laughs> if you hear that, you just you just don't go. Like any any school will happily keep track of that if they can brag about it. Cave of art, they'll they'll tell you how many of their graduates get jobs, and it's a pretty high number. They just don't tell you that they have a lot large dropout. Numbers. Yeah, this is
0: this is true. But I think <laughs> part of that though is I know our school. You don't have to have a portfolio necessarily to get in, although it does help if you want to not take certain classes. So I get the impression that the weed out rate is really high, that a lot of people come in and then a lot of people realize, oh, this is a lot of work, and then kind of fall out fall to the wayside.
1: Yes, exactly that. And I went into it going, well, I'm not going to drop out. I'm going to work as hard as I need to. So that probably will affect me. I actually did work out their dropout rates beforehand, and I was like, all right, let's find the good, the bad, and move on from there. So
0: while you were in school, I know that uh, you were working full-time. Where were you working while you were also taking classes?
1: Um, I was working in the tourism industry, actually. I worked at a bicycle rental location. I'm I'm just not going to say the name right now. Uh, You could probably easily find out. Uh, I would sing to people as they walked by and give them d- detailed descriptive maps and information on tourism. and I got yelled at in every possible oh. language I can imagine. My favorite time was when uh, I angered some Italians who messed up their bike ride. They didn't speak English very well and they pulled up the word scam artist in the translation book.
0: Oh, oh no. To- <laughs> Oh, that, that's, that's harsh. You're just like, but I'm, I'm in college. I'm just trying to make a decent living.
1: Oh yeah. No, it it was a, um, it actually made me a much more confident person because my boss very specifically would tell us to just tell people to screw (laughs) off. And he was, yeah, he was a very um, like, I I liked him, but he also was a very, a very hard to understand, you know, a very hard personality. Sometimes I would just tell people like really don't want to see my manager. Like,
0: let's work it out here. It'll all be better. It's like, trust me, you <laughs> would rather speak with me because I am, I am kind and sociable as opposed to my manager who will tell you, no, screw off. We're not giving you your money back.
1: Yeah, it was, it was really great. It taught me a lot of confidence, which, was, which is actually incredibly useful in the art industry. Um, you have to be able to tell people to screw off sometimes. And you have to be able to also try to work with difficult people and make them think they're getting what they want when they're being unreasonable without actually necessarily giving them everything they ask for and rolling over. So my incredibly difficult and exhaustive job where I dealt with people yelling at me every day uh, gave me that way more than I needed
0: at the time. Hey, that's that's the silver lining there. It made you a, a tougher person. (laughs) How were you able to balance going to class, plus a full time job, plus getting, you know, classwork together, plus getting a portfolio together all at the same time?
1: Um, let's add a little bit more to that. I was also running a club, and I was doing, fr- uh, I guess, not really freelance commission wow. work on the side, and wow. I was working with um, a couple of animation. All
0: right. Projects. So, so how little did you sleep? I guess that's um, the new question. Is so you <laughs> slept what, like an hour a night? My
1: average. It was actually I averaged Oof. it out to three hours a night. Not very healthy. I really have problems remembering certain certain periods of time in that year. <laughs> <laughs> In honesty, it was too much. But at the same time, if you're young, if you're able, killing yourself temporarily, don't make it a lifelong thing, can help you learn a lot. I was, I was determined to get as much of my education as I could. But I also had to work full time because I had to pay rent. I didn't have as much financial support as other people might. And the one thing you could do, which is what I did later in my my semesters where I realized I can't kill myself the whole time, was I just reduced my classwork. I decided I wouldn't graduate when I wanted to graduate. I pushed it back about a year and I took only two classes a semester so I could really focus on them and do the best work I could and I, you know I could still do the extracurricular work then without dying, <laughs> and actually getting some sleep every night. And um, as much as I'd like to say, you know, go gung-ho, do that your whole time, never sleep, it will grade on you. And it does reduce your productivity and your ability to really put your all into classwork. Uh, in my last six months where I was only taking two classes, um, I reduced my workload significantly. I was really really able to focus on building my portfolio to a degree that I thought would get me hired. And I did. I got a job six weeks before I graduated. If you're going to do the intense cl- intense classwork and work work and all the other work combined, I feel like my recommendation to everyone is for at least your last six months to find a way to slow down so you can really focus on what's happening after school.
0: That sounds good. And we'll get to your first job six weeks before you graduate. We'll get to there in a a couple of minutes here, but I wanna go back and ask you about your commission work and also running organization. So how were you able to find commissions while you were in school?
1: So I primarily uh, just posted my artwork up on, you know, small sites like DeviantArt, um, whatever was big back then. (laughs) I don't remember, like I said, I didn't sleep very much. Just posted my artwork here and there and I tried to do upload things frequently. And that's pretty important if you want to have any online presence is find all the sites that people are putting artwork up, put some of your artwork up, Instagram and Tumblr. And surprisingly, Twitter are pretty good uh, platforms right now too. Just do something at least once a week and people will kind of remember you. So I did a lot of smaller commission work, so. An extra 100 bucks here and there ends up being helpful. That buys my art supplies for school.
0: How did you decide how to price your items so that you were making a good profit and so that it was worth your time, but also would be something that people would want to purchase?
1: Well, now I'm much better at that. I was learning back then. A big thing is to make sure you never underprice yourself. You have to ask yourself, how long am I taking on this artwork? How long is it going to take me to finish this, and if you're spending ten hours on something you're making twenty bucks you're you're essentially making less than a big mac meal like you're you know you're paying yourself less than someone who works in McDonald's honestly, you're probably paying yourself less than people that stand on the street corner with a can
0: yes. <laughs> you're like not that I recommend that it's like there's other things there's other ways. <laughs> There's other ways.
1: Um, At the same time, if you're going, I need a body of work to show that I can work for people, but I'm not getting the prices I'm asking for, don't worry about it. Uh, Do your own work, build projects that people are excited about. So they want to come to you. And then optionally from there, find groups of people who are doing art trades. And that's what I started to do. I'd find groups where they're doing like, I know I did one. It was like horse art trade. And I'm like, oh, I need practice at horses. And you just draw artwork for someone, Secret Santa style. You get some artwork in return, maybe. And um, it builds up a portfolio of you have done work with a deadline in a time limit for a person based on their their description. And it sort of builds a pseudo commission portfolio. That's one way to do it rather than charging 10 bucks. And then you could charge more and I just go, people don't take my rates. That's great. I get time to do my own work, which I'll be able to sell as prints later, which I'll be able to use in my portfolio whenever. Because honestly, online, you'll get some commissions of like a green cat person. I don't know. That's not necessarily going to fit in your portfolio if you're trying to do, say, backgrounds for animation or something.
0: And then also, you've done a lot of conventions. Did you start going to conventions while you were in high school and college? Or was that something that you started doing once you were done with school?
1: Um, A little bit of both. My first convention I ever went to was actually Comic-Con San Diego, the big one. But I went when I was 17, which is in 2005, 2006, somewhere in that range, I think 2005. And I remember when I told people I was going to Comic-Con, they were like, that's weird. Who goes to that type of show?
0: Really? (laughs)
1: Um, yeah, everyone, uh, people thought it was very interesting. They'd never heard of it. It
0: was, <laughs> it was a time. Like and that, th- that time has gone very um, quickly.
1: <laughs> yeah. And the Comic-Con San Diego can be replaced with any of your local small Comic-Cons now that it's a big phenomena. And I just walked around the artist area and I spoke with professional artists and I'd show them my sketchbook and ask them questions about what I was doing. And that turned out really helpful in a roundabout way. I ran into a guy who worked for one of the big comic companies. I don't remember, but he was looking through my artwork and his big compliments, he he loved my ink work. He thought my ink work was phenomenal and he thought I should be a professional inker, which was exactly what I did not want to do. And it was, it was actually very helpful because I was able to go, wow, my body of work is not saying what I want it to say. Like, I want people to be complimenting my colors. I want people to be complimenting my designs. And so I did a 360 and stopped inking for about five years to, to focus on what I wanted to people to see. And that's what people see now when they look at my artwork. That's good advice. Yeah, you can learn a lot based on what people gravitate towards, and you can learn a lot about how to make your art sing in the way you want it to. All
0: right, and then moving towards the club, now you were president of, um, I believe it was the Visual Arts Club at AAU, is that correct?
1: Yeah, the Concept Design Club, which had a very rocky start when when I started, which was when it was called the Concept Art Club. Now it is ideation for visual development. When I started it, um, it, we it, we literally founded it. I was vice president because of my ridiculous workload. I basically volunteered to run the meetings and make sure things didn't set on fire. And that was supposed to be my job. But my job wound up being a lot more because, again, rocky start. We were tracking. I, I was tracking our funds and making sure things were taken care of. And trying to stop, you know, having surprise meetings where I found out someone decided to bring pizza into the computer lab. And I'm like, you know, our club will be disbanded. I was like the crazy lady trying to keep everything together. And it stayed together. I am very happy to see that it's still thriving at Academy of Art. That's a proud accomplishment. The club that was literally on fire the whole first semester I took care of it, um, found its footing. And kept on going as after I graduated.
0: So I was with it for about two years
1: before it moved on to a life of its own and proud mama bird.
0: (laughs) I remember I went to one meeting, and it was actually a meeting where you had come back to school to talk. Because I remember myself and Kristen, we went to this meeting and heard you talk about how you had gotten a job and all the things that you did in school. And that really inspired us. And that actually helped us a lot for when we graduated because we saw what you were doing and realized Okay, we need to get stuff together. We need to start applying for jobs today, not when we graduate. Like right now, because both of us were about, I think we're a year or a year and a half away from graduating, and we realized, no, we need to like go home and right now just put together a portfolio, like right this minute.
1: And I'm I'm very happy that worked out, which is true. You do want to have everything built up before you graduate. Once you graduate, then you're in this realm of like, what do I do from here? And a lot of people, unfortunately, they stop drawing. You know, they have their body of work. They love art, but they're, you know, they're burnt out from school and they're expecting companies to just be like, all right, I'll hire you based on this piece of paper. And that won't necessarily happen. You want to prove to people that you're actively working, actively willing to get things done and that you have a working portfolio ready to go.
0: All right, that's see, that's that's solid advice. And you mentioned that you got hired six weeks out, and that you know, prior to that, when you were talking with people, you realized what you wanted your portfolio to look like. What kind of jobs were you aiming for when you were creating your portfolio? Um,
1: definitely more either character design, um, in general, just illustrative works. I wish I had a much more pointed portfolio. I was definitely a little frazzled coming out too, probably due to the excessive work. Um, I was aiming a lot for game studios though, because I knew there was a lot of work in the area I was in and I didn't necessarily want to have to uproot myself right away. Um, and that's what I wound up getting. I got a, J, a, J, a job in the game industry doing design work for Stormate, um, which was a mobile game company. And I did a lot of design work on a game there, uh, which was just mostly cute animals. Nothing nothing really difficult, but it was definitely fun. Um, it paid very well. And I used that as a sort of platform to leap onto my next job where I did a lot more in-depth stuff with Disney Interactive.
0: And how exactly did you get the job at Stormate and then the job over at Disney Interactive?
1: For Stormate, because I knew I definitely needed a job before I graduated. I needed a source of income that was not the tourism industry. And um so when people talk about networking, it is very important. I didn't necessarily approach my interactions with everyone as a, this is a networking opportunity. I just happily spoke with everyone, got to know a lot of people in classes and connected with them via Facebook or their art profile or whatever. And I stayed in touch with them. Um, It was a girl I took one class with my first semester on site, I think color and design. Um, We just kind of stayed in touch vaguely over the years. And she, I, she was posting about her work and I was just contacting a bunch of people like, Hey, you know, where are you working? What's up with your job? Um, You know, I'm looking, do you know where I should look? And as it turns out, there was a job opening right there. And because I contacted her, they put me on a a short list to get a uh, art test in.
0: Wow. See that. That's great, because I, I think a lot of people, they think, oh, I have to meet, like, some super famous person or schmooze people, and, you know, it's really just about the people that you see all the time, you know, the people, like, right next to you are the folks that can often give you the most help, so that that's excellent that you just went ahead and just asked her for, you know, just advice.
1: Yeah, and it's very good, because a lot of these people that, you know, you've just gotten out of school with, like, they're going to be very well aware of, the struggles of a student trying to find work and probably a little bit more empathetic towards you than a 10, 15-year veteran who may have already forgotten what it felt like. I know, I mean, I try to do my best, to help out everyone, but there's sometimes where I'm like, I'm already starting to feel old where I see students coming out of school and I'm like, wow, (laughs) that was me. It's like being a baby. You learn a lot very fast once you start working in the industry. For Disney, that was an interesting one where I didn't apply. They contacted me in what looked like the most unprofessional email ever. I thought it was a scam. It was, it was just like a three-line email without an introductory like, Hey, I work for Disney. Are you interested in working for Disney? And I'm like, wow, this is junk. But I have a policy of responding even to what looks like junk. just really simple, like, uh, interested in the work, this is my context, send me a message. And the guy responded and he was the art director and that was just his personality type. As it turned out, my artwork, which had gotten into the Academy of Art Spring show a um, year beforehand, they had attached my email to it, but they didn't attach my professional email, they attached my public email. Um, Or I must have done it. But anyway, (laughs) uh, that was the email he saw. And he contacted me after seeing that artwork online. And every little thing counts. Having your net spread wide, putting your art anywhere it can be, can lead to work. Um, I got in touch with him. We wound up having a phone call talking about Disney concept artists and our favorite movies. And I had a job interview the next morning. It was my... Um least prepared interview I've ever done, and probably my favorite because i I talked about cats the whole time. And I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't even know if I mean, I didn't even know if I wanted the job I liked where I was. So I didn't really approach it in a stress stressful way. I was just like, yeah, you know, I'm here. I like cats. Uh, let's talk about art. And as it turns out, they thought I was the most laid back person ever, and they thought that was great. And they, they told me that was part of why they hired me. So
0: apparently that worked out. So, so the secret to working for Disney is have great work, be relaxed, talk about cats. I'll just do fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not sure that's necessarily working for everyone, but it worked for me. I'd say that a key is be confident. Confident can help. Being confident in your work can help you relax. And in that case, my confidence was born from the fact I wasn't worried about getting the job. So I was confident with my work because I wasn't worried about whether it was good enough for that company. And it just helped me feel a little bit better during the interview. And then, you know, you kind of just have fun, talk to the people, try to relate to the people you're interviewing with. In that case, we, we were actually... You know, they asked me what I, what, about me, and I told them I liked cats, and we all started talking about cats, so hey!
0: <laughs> that is really great. So what are some of the projects that you got to work on over at Disney Interactive?
1: Um, that was a very fun job, but unfortunately, being a part of the game industry, and this is very common with that industry, I worked for about two years on a game that never came out and is strictly NDA but what I can say about it is it was a very Disney game and absolutely beautiful and I was having meetings weekly with Imagineering and Pixar and um, I feel like it really fostered a lot of my artistic growth like I was doing building concept artwork and some character design and a big variety of very cool things that I can't show on the internet but that did build me up as an artist which I could apply that to my work I did outside of Disney which is what you should do if you're working a studio job always work on your own stuff because a lot of projects don't come to fruition and you can't share your artwork you did on it you have to have a portfolio behind you anyway but after that I worked on a I decided to specifically choose a team that would have a project that I could share with people so I did a smaller uh game, which is just a word game called Words of Wonder, which was Ivan D Earl um themed. It was really fun to do. I did background painting. I had a very wonderful small team and um since it was public and successful, I actually have a body of work that I could put on my portfolio. <laughs> But also it was a fun project, you know, being able to research Ivan to Earl every day is, is kind of like a dream.
0: That is, that is really good. And I especially like what you said before too, about creating your own work while you were working at Disney so that you would still have your own work to show. And I'm curious when you're working full time on, you know, a major project and you're working with a team, you know, how do you keep your creative juices flowing and your energy going for your own personal projects once you go back home?
1: Um, I know that's something a lot of people have trouble with. And I did too. Um, my first six months having a professional job, I think I just played video games. Like I got into Skyrim and that was like 90, that was all my time off of work was just like <laughs> running around, battling dragons. And then I go back to work and draw all day. And you kind of can kill your creative juices by not drawing, actually. You, I think the big target is you kind of go, it's my work, I'm drained. But really, what it is is you've lost your kind of practice. You're you're used during school. You go home and you want to work more. You have to work more. You have homework, and you're just so you're working so much in artwork that your free time is easily able to be pushed back into artwork. In a studio job, I feel like you tend to slow down a lot. You are drawing, but you're spending a lot of time emailing and having meetings and doing a lot of less creative activities. So you're not really in that, like, have to draw all day long mentality anymore. Um, The easiest way to create artwork after work is just say you have to tell yourself to do it. Um, Go home and dedicate 10 minutes to a drawing or in the morning before work, do a warm-up doodle. It uh, doesn't have to be anything amazing, but creating that time for yourself will really push your creative juices later to work on artwork for yourself. Um, I also would take you know little bits of work here and there, and again draw draw whatever fun thing I wanted to do or draw for someone else. Do um, I was working a lot on my own kind of personal. Uh, Kiki Doodle product which is my branding so my own prints but also things like stickers and magnets and little merchandise and those little things kept me busy too.
0: All right so then how did you go from Disney Interactive to working as a freelancer and doing you know various magazines and children's book illustrations?
1: Um, I feel like I had an interesting journey and it's not necessarily repeatable by everyone but the 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 concepts behind it are important i think um so at disney near the end of my career disney interactive was struggling a little bit they had done a lot of large projects that hadn't gone through so they had lost a lot of money and we all kind of knew that there was going to be a major layoff and i kind of wanted to be laid off. I wanted to work on my on my own pro- personal projects at that point. I was getting a little tired of studio work and really wanted to push my own work. But at the same time, I wasn't going to turn down a nice paint job that I, that I actually really liked. Um, so when they wound up doing their layoffs, I was surprisingly happy to be laid off because I had a nice severance, which I considered my really push my freelance period of time and um, what I had been doing up to that moment because we knew that was coming up was I just made sure to be much more active online and offline having my artwork uh, net spread wide Um, so posting my artwork every possible place I could tagging it appropriately Um, Being active in communities, signing up for shows and conventions where I could actively display my artwork to be seen by people. And a big mix of all of that um, came together in the fact that, like, right after I got laid off, I put out on the Internet, I wrote, oh, hey, Facebook, I don't have a job. So uh, if anything comes up, let me know. And a uh, professor that I had had a few classes with was going on a trip, so he had me go into sub for him. And that was very great and turned into my Academy of Art job where I was offered a uh, position teaching. And at the same time, I got another email from from Storytime magazine where they had seen my artwork online and liked it and wanted to know what my rates were for a children's book. Just everything kind of both tumbled down and then raised up at the exact same time. And then from there, I moved off to Oregon (laughs) to spend less money on rent. And just, again, kept, you know, keep my net wide, talk to people at shows, um, get business cards, send out emails. And I've been getting consistent work just by being active. Like I said, it's not really necessarily a, this will happen to everyone. It's a, have your work out there, have it easily visible and take your time to speak with people and be open and
0: work can find you. That is great. I love, I love that story. I especially like the fact that you were very proactive. You know, you had a job, you enjoyed your job, but you were still working on your own work and that you also let people know. Cause I think sometimes, I think sometimes people are maybe afraid to let people know, Hey, I'm looking for other work or other opportunities or, you know, this job's going to end. And you just said, Nope, it ended. What's out there. Who knows about different opportunities?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's really good to be open about that, not be fearful. Um, in that case, like I liked, I liked the job there. I actually had the opportunity to apply for a uh, another another company that was taking over our game, and they would have paid pretty well, and I would have continued to work on the game. But at that point, I was like, you know, at this point, I need to take a step off. Like, I feel like that journey is ending. That's what I'm feeling. This is time to move on towards something else, whatever new project is out there. With the art industry, unlike say with my parents where they got my, my, they got a job and they'll be working the same job for 20, 30 years. A lot of the art industry is jobs that you'll work for like two to three years before you move on to the next one. So I think there's a little bit more understanding that artists in general, we are going to be, we know we're not gonna be ditching teams right and left, but we are going to be planning on the next project while working on a current one, you know, we'll put our all into a project as long as it lasts. But, you know, we have to be aware that they aren't all gonna last 20, 30 years. Um, I don't think, I don't think I know anyone that has been at the same job for more than, you know, the same project for more than like 10 years.
0: (laughs) This is true. I know a handful of people that have been at studios for 10 or 15 years but they've all worked on two or three or four different films at this point. You're not working on the same thing. You know, you work in the film for three to four or five years, film ends, you go to the next film, but that's still really rare. Most people that I know you're right. They're there for two or three years and then they're either on a different project or they're at a different company completely.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And as long as, like I said, you are dedicated to your work and you're not, Approaching your work like this is a placeholder while I work on my dream project on the side, and I don't care about my (laughs) studio work, which I don't know. I don't know anyone who does that because that's not good. (laughs) As long as you're putting your dedication into your studio work and your love on top of your, you know, whatever your hard desires on the side, then you're fine. Like I said, any company that does not appreciate that as artists, we are going to be creating our own personal work. You might want to evaluate that company as a whole and be like, is this really a healthy environment for me? Because all the good studios I know definitely are okay fostering that creative stuff on the side.
0: All right, so that that's really good. So let's, let's take a turn now and talk about the art itself and the artwork that you do. So I really like your art, first off, which is besides the fact that you're a cool person, the other reason why I wanted to talk with you. And I just wanted to ask you about your process for how you create what you create. I found that your style is, you know, very colorful, very fun, lots of interesting shapes, and it doesn't look like other art that I've seen. And I just want to know what your process was for getting to your personal style and how you developed that.
1: Um, developing towards the style was an interesting journey for me. Um, when I was going to school at Academy of Art, Um, looking at other artists. I think the big thing at Academy when I was there was like the hardcore concept art. So people would share books like Skillful Huntsman or, you know, they'd share, you know, they'd show off artists who are working for big studios doing these um, ridiculously realistic concept art pieces. And in my mind, I'm like, all right, that's what art is. Okay. I guess that's the thing. That's how you become good. And so I put a lot of work into my foundations, I think. And I was trying to build up this realistic concept arty style that just didn't work for me. Um, I've always been really drawn to heavily animated styles and shape design and colors and expressions. And I was trying to do these like overly rendered um, photo collage junk and not it's not junk like some people rock at it for me it looked like junk <laughs> and my work personally and it just took me a moment where I'm doing this and I fi- finally go what am I doing this isn't what I like I'm just gonna draw the thing I like instead and I think that was the moment where my art really finally started to make sense where I just kind of was like all right I like shapes this is what I'm gonna focus on I like colors, this is what I'm gonna focus on. And from that point, I found what works for me and what sings for me and started to really build my portfolio. I think it was a year before I graduated. So I was like, "Uh uh-oh, low on time. But I built up something that worked much better for me. I think every artist has their own unique strengths and uh, weaknesses, and you really have to learn to work to your strengths. And I'll, I mean, you don't, you don't just like avoid the weaknesses, but you work a way, you come up with a way where your work doesn't exemplify those weaknesses where they're almost kind of forgotten. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess like, it, I don't know, I can't think of a good example, but for me, it was a lot of the color and shape has always, and lighting has always been strengths of mine and doing incredibly rendered anatomical drawings was not working to those as much. While doing stylized work really pushes my shape design, which is something I feel like I've always been a little better at. Um, At the same time, I think those foundations were very useful because they show through my artwork. I definitely still study the way things are put together. And then I just exaggerate it.
0: That's good. And I, I liked what you said, too, about how you still study, because I think a lot of times people have this idea that, oh, once I'm done with school, I have arrived and then I can just go forth and create. And from what I've heard from everyone else is, no, once you get out of school, that's actually you're just now beginning. You know, now you're working, but you still have a lot to learn and a lot of things that you can draw from.
1: Yeah, learning never ends. Um And I think one thing, too, is in a school environment, you have a dedicated class telling you what to do, and often it's hard to find a way to do that for yourself outside of class, because you don't have a dedicated time, three to six hours a week, two to three times a week, to just go sit down and do projects. Um, so you have to set up your own projects, sort or if you have to set up your own work things, like you're like, okay, I'm gonna study from so and so once a week, or me, I'll go to the zoo and I'll draw the animals, and I don't, I don't do it like a gotta have to draw every single one. I'll sit in front of elephants for three hours and just focus on that. And um, it's important to come up with your own sort of learning regime at home after school.
0: Yeah. And I like what you said about sitting for three hours, because I think that's the thing a lot of times people go to the zoo and I think, Oh, just 10 minutes. Like, no, really sit and watch and see what the animals are doing. Or when you're sitting and watching people like watch what people are doing for a while and like how they're moving and how they're picking up things or walking, like really, really study that.
1: Oh yeah. And that's a part of the non-drawing, but just visual learning, which is also very important when you go out, raise your head, don't always look at your phone, and just watch things. Like, I think the down moments are just as important to learning how to be an artist as the, you know, actively drawing parts. Uh, Keep a sketchbook with you, but go on a walk somewhere, and if you feel like really just staring and watching things, sometimes that's okay. Like, if, as long as you feel like you are taking your time to visualize something think about how you can put it together how does something work Um, all of that will apply back to artwork later too and like i said people watching look at people and trying to learn how do they work how you know what's in this coffee shop other than just like sort of drawing you know a couple of portraits and not really learning from them take the time to both draw and
0: learn from your environment you know, you're talking about learning and, like, observing the environment and whatnot. Now that you are an instructor and you're teaching students, you know, techniques and whatnot, what are some things that you've learned from your students? And then what are some things that you think students need to know when they're in the class environment that will help them out when they're in class?
1: Um, from students, I feel I feel like teaching is great because you really learn not just the concept of something like you can be a rock star artist and a terrible teacher because knowing how to do something yourself is significantly different from teaching someone how to achieve the same thing and achieving something isn't necessarily a step-by-step process especially in artwork you have to learn how every individual student or person will approach a problem as well as the fact that their solutions may not be the same one you would come to, but that doesn't make them wrong. So I really, I try to learn from my students and learn how every semester I can get them to learn concepts without necessarily taking away from what they're creating and their visions. I want them to all approach these concepts in a unique way and build a unique portfolio to them that works for them but also still be aware of whatever the problematic thing that they have going on is.
0: What are some things that you think st- would help students before they get to school? Like, are there are there like certain things that you see maybe that they struggle with? It doesn't necessarily even have to be like drawing skills, but just things that if they're more aware of once they're in a classroom environment, at like a university, they'll just have a better time of it.
1: Yeah. um, Actually, as far as technical skills go, I mean, they're very, very important. Don't get me wrong. But I think those are less important going into class than a lot of other elements, because you can learn your technical skills. Um, What's very important is to, one, have an open mind, which sounds obvious, but a lot of people walk in going, this is what I do. And While this may be exactly what you're doing right then, you may really love drawing anime or dragons or cats or cat people or whatever, you know, comics, you have to learn to try things that you may not be comfortable with because you might love that more. And the more you go, I'm not going to like something before you do it, the more likely you definitely will never learn how to approach it in a way that you would like. Um, I think every single project can be, I guess, worked around in a way that would be super fun for every individual, no matter how outside of their typical drawing skill set it is. You just have to be creative. And I think it's very important for people to approach this stuff in a creative way. Like if you get a poster project and you don't make posters, go, how can I make this more like what I do. All right, you know, for me, uh, I do book covers and illustrative. So I'm gonna approach this like a book cover, or um, if you're really into certain TV shows, like, all right, instead of making it a cupcake poster, how can I make it cupcakes for these particular characters from a show I like? Just come up with something kind of crazy and fun and approach it in a way that speaks to you. Um, There's that and also interacting with other students. A lot of students are very shy. They don't like to speak up and critique. They don't like to talk to the students around them. They get a very small group. And I think that is detrimental. The more you speak with other people, the more you start learning new ways to approach your artwork and new ways to approach projects. And critique is very important because You open yourself up in a vulnerable way to learn how to approach art better. Not all critique you'll get will be good, but the bad critique is just as important because it shows people's,
0: I guess, visceral reaction to your artwork. And what what specifically are you teaching?
1: Um, I'm teaching digital illustration. Um, It's sort of like an intro class, so it comes after the first digital illustration course, but this is really the first one a lot of my students even start to paint. One thing that makes interesting is that a lot of them, like I said, they've never painted digitally before, and the class itself is very highly conceptual, and I've actually toned down a lot of things because it was too hard for them, I think. Like, it was asking them to completely learn a new style and subject matter. And I changed it into, like, you have to study this new style, but you tell me what you learned from it, rather than a try to copy it. Because trying to learn how to paint and trying to learn how to do a style guide at the same time doesn't create the best combination of work I don't think
0: <laughs> yeah that, that's a uh, that's good that you've adjusted it for the students and that that's that's got to be interesting too like working with like so is it a lot of you know welcome to photoshop here's how it works welcome to illustrator and now we're going to get into artists and painting and styles and that type of thing
1: yeah although it's uh photoshop and painter in particular oh okay um Yeah, no, it's a lot of like, this is sort of like, this is how you use the pen tool. We're on the pen tool module. Um, All right, now this is how you do basic shading. And now we're going to do a background. (laughs) So there's a lot of kind of throwing them a little bit into the deep end. And I just respond to what they're having trouble with by giving them tips and tricks. But I think it's good because the conceptual idea, the conceptual parts of drawing. Like I said, you can always learn the technical aspects, but without learning the concepts, you know the concept, the conceptual aspects of like building a scene, um, how to design lighting, or how lighting can affect mood. All of that is how you make a drawing look good, the most well-rendered. Uh, fantastically studied drawing ever it can look incredibly boring next to an amateur drawing that has incredibly strong concepts behind it.
0: Aside from teaching and you know some of your book projects that you're working on, what are some upcoming projects that you have in the works for 2016?
1: Um, a couple of projects, I hope I will have the time to finish one of them, it is um, I'm working on a short comic. And I'm also working on a children's book that's a collaboration between me and my boyfriend. Who's from, he's from Siberia, so we're doing a Siberian children's book together.
0: Can I ask you uh, what it's going to be about? Can you, can you talk about it a little bit?
1: Um, yeah, so I'm going to keep it a little generalized since he's still writing out the stories. Um, he, when I mentioned he grew up in Siberia, I mean very, very northern Siberia, northeastern. And um, these are stories that the shaman would tell the kids around the fire. And Siberian stories, Russian stories in general, are, are a lot darker than a lot of the stories people tend to eat up nowadays. It, it's kind of like the old grim tales before they were modified to have a little bit less death in them. Uh, <laughs> But they're very beautiful, too. So I know the one he's working on right now, It, the very beginning, it enters with a boy accidentally killing his father on a hunting trip. And that's just the beginning.
0: <laughs> it's like, um, and that's where we start, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's a lot about, you know, forgiveness and kind of like learning to accept yourself. But with with a kind of a lot more, some darkness in it, but also a lot of, like, um, mystique. It's very pretty. They're very cool stories. Um, I'm excited to work on that. It'll be fun to do. We're just waiting for, I'm just waiting on Nikolai to finish the translation. So he is, right, he wrote it out to himself in Russian, and now he's rewriting it in English.
0: Wow, that is fantastic. And are y'all going to, how are you going to publish? Are you going to do it online or are you working through a publishing company?
1: That one I definitely would be self-publishing. Um, it's something I would like to keep my hands on. There would have to be a very high price for me to sell it. Um, it's. I like having a few things under my belt that are specifically my own. Um, like Square's Air Pair, it's not my own. It was definitely done with the author, and he did almost every all the all the all the leg work. I did all the artwork, and like that one is kind of cool anyway because it, it was self-published, and so I'm allowed to take it to shows and sell it and talk about it without all the constraints that publishing something can have, where you're restricted on what you can share sometimes, or um, selling it, like they're going to be selling it. I can't have it at my at my table most of the time. I mean, sometimes maybe, but not necessarily. And yeah, it's just a little different approach.
0: Question about that as well, because you were talking about freelancing and working with other writers and such. How did you, and you mentioned that too, that some of it was trial and error, but were there any like online resources or books or classes that you took that helped you with contracts and finance and taxes now that you're doing freelancing
1: the illustrator's handbook um hands down uh everyone needs that if you even if you can't afford the most up-to-date one get one that's a year old um you want to get one every year but it will give you a general breakdown of pricing um what you should charge uh for example when i was doing um Kids' books, I looked and I was like, all right, for a full color cover, this is the rate you should ask. This is your per page rate. And I would use that to come up with an estimate for what to charge. On top of that, as well, things like um, doing the covers for comics that helped out too. On top of that, you also are going to want to talk to other people in the industry. Uh, keep connected with all your, all your Facebook friends. Even if you don't use Facebook, just have it and add all of the artists you went to school with. So that way you can just send them a quick message if you ever need to, like, hey, um, I was asked to do a comic project. This is what they want to charge me. I'm not familiar with this industry. How are these numbers? So they can tell you if it's horrible and to run away or if that's looking pretty fair or if you need to give them a counteroffer.
0: All right. And how do you make sure that
1: you get paid? Um, Contracts, 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 contracts. Always have a contract, even if it's a friend. Very important because I think almost everyone eventually winds up with a story where they just didn't do a contract for some reason or another and how much it bit them in the butt. Um. I have a policy where even boring commissions that are over a certain number generally like one hundred and fifty or two hundred, I give them a contract anyway, and if it's below that, you know you link them to like a terms of service, which is not as official and will not hold up in court if there's a problem but uh any project you're doing, especially if you don't already have the money in your hand, you want a contract that says what they're supposed to pay you, how much, when, how revisions work. Um, You want something to say where if they ask you to completely repaint this project, that they have to pay you all over again. Um, Typically you'll have something that says how many sketch revisions are you going to do? Like um, how do changes work once something's been approved? For example, I was working on a project and my contract states that like once um the sketch phase has been approved. There's no further edits without additional charges. Doesn't mean I can't do it if they're nice. Like if they come back and they're like, you know, I just thought about this idea. And if it's gonna take me a few minutes and I otherwise like them, I might do it. But it gives you an out if they come up with this terrible idea. If your client goes, I have an idea, what if we changed everything?
0: What if we made an entirely new project from scratch?
1: And that happens way more than you might think, sadly. And then you go, all right, that sounds great. Um, as for my contract, you're going to pay me another $1,000. And then surprisingly, they tend to like your
0: work. It's like, oh, never mind. This is great.
1: And it just it just stops. And half the time, you know, this, these clients are not even, they're not bad people. They're not like, how can I make your life a living hell? They're just excited about the work you've shown them. And they need to be dragged back into reality every once in a while to be like, all right, you're the idea guy, but you have to stop. (laughs) We've already passed that point. And if it's really important to them and it's difficult to work out, they'll still pay you. Like if they're good people, they'll be like, all right, I understand. I made you do all this work for nothing. So here's more money. And contracts, great for that. Also, if they don't pay you, it gives you something you can hold up against them. Like, all right, well, as for this contract, um, you're going to get a late fee or you're going to get this. And you just invoice them that and half the time they'll find a way to pay you because it's there in writing. They don't want to deal with court. No one wants to deal with court. And so, if you're starting out and you have no idea what to do, um, you can find sample contracts online. Definitely, definitely, definitely. If you don't know how to write legally or read legally, find a person to read it and write it for you. Um, either a pay a lawyer, or b you know, the not as is, is not as secure way. You can temporarily have a friend who is familiar with that, maybe someone who is a law student, read, you know, proofread it for you. But if you're doing any project that has a high enough number, you're going to want to hire that lawyer because you do not want a contract that has a whole bunch of holes in it. Um, Generally, bigger studios will provide you with a contract and you read the whole thing. Um, Sounds obvious, but some people might not think that through. They might go, all right, now I'm going to trust these people. And contrary to popular belief, you can cross out sections of a contract. If you don't think it's fine, um, you could tell them like, I'll only sign it. If we change this aspect of it. And you also want to read it because some contracts can be sneaky and mean. Uh, there was one without naming names, the contract basically stated at one line. It said all works, including those non-related to the project belong to the whole, you know, belong to the client. And I'm like, basically, I think that meant that they would own my whole portfolio. I'm not sure even that would legally hold up, but I don't want to have to take them to court and spend money I don't have to fight why, you know, to find out later if they're selling my artwork as prints and they just show me that contract. Oh, well, you signed it. You signed that all works, including non-related works belong to me. So I can I can sell your artwork as prints to promote my project. Uh, you want to be careful. Always read over contracts. If you have a hard, you know, if you're if you have a hard time reading, you aren't the you aren't the word person. You're the art person. Have someone who knows how to read those read them for you.
0: Do you have a lawyer or a manager that helps you out, or anyone that you've sought out legal advice from, or have you been able to do all of this yourself? Um,
1: But so far I have done it myself with help from actually, like I mentioned, a a friend of ours who is a law student. We have had, we had him read over a lot of things, but like I said, as soon as I get a contract, that's large enough that they are not providing me with one of their own. I'd say anything over, over $4,000, I would hire a lawyer to do rewrite my, rewrite my contract to be very professionally, uh, and legally secure. Like as it is, um, I've had it proved enough by people that are in the know that it's fine for smaller things, but I would still pay someone who is definitely a professional in the copyright field for anything over a certain number.
0: (laughs) And then as far as taxes go, have you found that, is it just a matter of making sure you set aside a percentage for your taxes or have you found it easier just to hire a CPA and have someone you know, helping you handle that for you?
1: Um, that will depend on the individual. For me, I'm not looking forward to this tax year. It's going to be my first year with very little extra income, almost all freelance, which means I'm going to be paying more taxes this year. Um, if you're working a studio job and also doing freelance, you can look forward to a really nice tax return instead. Um, keep all your receipts. Almost everything is a write-off as an artist and you want to write off as much as possible to keep those taxes lower and say um when you're doing a studio job um since you're paying taxes in if you're doing freelance on the side everything you're doing for that freelance is a write off so if you're traveling for a show your travel fees your hotel fees um, even your food is a write-off. And certain things where if you're traveling and you're doing something art-related, like going to the zoo is a tax write-off for me because I'm actually doing artwork there. When it gets more confusing, sometimes it's just easier to hire someone. Thankfully, my boyfriend's really good at that. So I make him do half, most of my taxes. I just organize everything.
0: It's like, I'm going to have it organized. You're good with taxes. Here you go. Have fun.
1: Yeah, this year I think we're hiring someone because we moved to a new state. We did, I did all the full time freelance. I did a ton of shows. I'm also teaching, but teaching is through a different state, and it just goes on and on. It seems like a mess. So,
0: <laughs> no, but that makes sense. And then speaking too about moving to a new state, you mentioned that you moved, you know, to help save rent and to help cut down costs, and it sounds like that's worked out great for you with freelancing and being able to teach. How did you decide, you know, Oregon is a good place for us?
1: In my case, um, I moved near the Portland area, and the Portland area has a huge freelance (laughs) comics and creative creators. Uh, There's a whole bunch of people who are really into the arts who work full-time freelance out here. So there's a huge network of artists to connect with, which is really fantastic. And there's a lot of the creative industry, I guess not industry, the industry is not out here. There's all the creative people who work in the industry. A lot of comic creators, like I mentioned, and a lot of people who do shows and then do freelance illustration. So we actually have a meetup of artists. We meet up every week at a Starbucks and we'll talk about what's going on with us shows or just do artwork together um there's a lot of mini shows i'm doing one in a couple of weeks here it's run by a community center that focuses on teaching little kids artwork and all the kids are putting it together and a bunch of artists are just gonna have tables up for like four hours and i guess we'll just talk to people i don't even know what's going to go on there but it's fun so i'm going it sounds really great um i sometimes actually tutor kids out here there's a lot of interest in the arts and it just really feels like a creative place. So for me, that was very important. There's the right mindset to be a freelancer out here. And um, otherwise, like I said, it's significantly cheaper. I came from the Bay Area. So um, my rent was is the same out here as it costs for me to be splitting an apartment with six people. So, and I have my own two bedroom now and I have a garage. So I'm like, all right, this is way nicer. I don't live with tons of people. I um, have my own space, my own office. There's no one playing electric guitar behind me. This is all good. But every person would be an individual. Like the indus- You might want to move somewhere where the industry is. Um, for example, I said the industry really is not here. I'm going to have a really hard time if I wanted a studio job and I'd probably have to move again. Most of the studio work is in California and Southern California in particular. There's a lot of game studio work in San Francisco, but um, that's not it. There's a lot now in Seattle. There's a lot in Denver starting to be. There's a lot in um, Texas. There's stuff in New York. I mean, there's stuff everywhere. It's just certain areas tend to be bigger hubs for industry work. And... You either follow that or if you do freelance, you find somewhere where you feel like you can be creative and happy and just realize that it tends to be a little bit harder the farther you are from the industry.
0: Do you think that one day you'll want to have an industry job or is your focus on purely doing freelance for the duration of your career?
1: I feel like I will do whatever doors open, I will look into them and see where they lead. Um, I am very happy where I am, but I'm not adverse to studio work. I just really needed, I'd say I needed a bit of time to decompress and find what I wanted to do, which is why I went after the freelance full-time and I'm very happy doing it. But, uh, I don't like to close doors. I like to leave them open and see, you know, what happens. I, I love the animation and illustration industry and I'm happy to always do new things and keep stuff energetic.
0: Sounds great. So, do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners, either people in school or fellow freelancers or folks that are just really interested in, you know, the animation and illustration industries as a whole?
1: Um, I guess my parting thought is my biggest thing of advice to people: just do stuff a lot and keep. If you want to find jobs, like put your artwork out there every week. Do something. Spread your net wide and be as many places as you can. You never know what will show up. Um, I'm doing a, a I'm going to a cat show next week to sign cat coloring books I did for the International Cat Association. And surprisingly, that actually real job that paid very well came from DeviantArt of all places. I've gotten jobs where they saw my artwork on Pinterest. I don't even really post to Pinterest. I just put enough things up there that they could be repinned. Um, You never know. You never know what job will come from where and you might as well be everywhere.
0: (laughs) Excellent. So speaking of being everywhere, where can people find you online?
1: Um, You can find me online just about anywhere that artwork is posted. My handle is Kiki Doodle, K-I-K-I Doodle. I'm on DeviantArt. Instagram, Kiki Doodling on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Tumblr. Um, I'm just about everywhere. If you go to kikidoodle.com, you can look up a link to all my various blogs and whatever, and follow me there. If you follow Tumblr or Twitter, you'll see a whole lot of sketches and pictures of cats.
0: Excellent. And I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. So Christine, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been a pleasure getting to know you better and also learning more about your art and the process and your different jobs and especially for all your freelancing work and just informing people on how they can go about that.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for having me.
0: And there you have it. Thanks again to Christine Knopp for being a guest on the show. And as always, I'll put links to all of Christine's websites in the show notes so that all of you can check out her work. And you can also check out the links for the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com, by visiting the show's Twitter handle, which is at AnimJourney, and by visiting us on our Facebook page. And also, if you'd like to see what I've been working on, you can check out at SketchySoul on Twitter, at Sketchy underscore Soul on Instagram, Uh, www.sketchysoul.com online and also you can check out Sketchy Soul over on Tumblr so thanks again for all of you for listening, really appreciate your support and tune in next week for episode 5 until then be encouraged and have a great day everybody